This is a HeadGum Podcast. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Factually. I'm Adam Conover. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I'm here in my brand new studio to share a little bit of a different episode with you. See, normally I have an expert on this show to teach us all things that blow our minds, but this week I'm talking about something very personal. See, you might've read in the news that my union, the Writers Guild of America, is on strike. That's because over the last decade, writing for television, movies, and streaming has become increasingly unsustainable as a career. The median writer-producer in TV now makes 23% less than we did a decade ago, even though the companies are making more money than ever and show budgets have increased by 50% over that same period. In fact, even though companies like Netflix are making record profits, they are simultaneously waging an unprecedented war on our compensation and on our workplace protections. They're trying to eliminate the writer's room and turn us into freelancers. They're trying to force screenwriters to do endless rewrites for free. And they're trying to turn late night comedy writing from a stable career into a one day a week side hustle. Now, they're a tough adversary. We've got some of the wealthiest and most powerful companies in the world fighting against us, trying to eliminate our jobs. But you know what we have to fight back? A union. Together, the 12,000 writers of the Writers Guild of America have declared that enough is enough and we have gone on strike until the companies address these issues and put basic protections in place that will allow us to continue to build a career and a life in this industry. We have put down our pencils and picked up our picket signs in order to remind these companies that without us, they don't have a product to sell. And in the weeks since, we have shown that we have a lot of power. Shows like Stranger Things and Severance have shut down production entirely. The MTV Movie Awards canceled their live show, and every company in Hollywood has stopped receiving the scripts that they need to shoot the shows and movies that generate all that massive profit for them to begin with. But what are the real stakes of this battle? 
How is it going to affect your favorite shows? How do we get to this point? And how might the strike end? Well, to answer those questions, we have two amazing guests on the show today. Their names are David Goodman and Danielle Sanchez-Witzel. David Goodman is a former president of the Writers Guild of America West, and he currently co-chairs our negotiating committee. Danielle Sanchez-Witzel also serves on that committee. She's written for many incredible shows, such as My Name is Earl. David's written for Family Guy and many others. And by the way, I also serve on the negotiating committee, and I'm on the board of the Writers Guild of America West. So between the three of us, you got three people who've been in the negotiating room who know exactly what this strike is all about. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with David Goodman and Danielle Sanchez-Witzel. David and Danielle, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're all wearing matching t-shirts. Yeah. We have them. Yeah. Uh, were you guys on the picket line this morning? Yes. Yes, I was at Netflix this morning. Great energy, amazing vibes. Yeah. Highly recommend. It's yeah. a party there in it's front of that party. building every yeah. day. Yeah. I was at Disney. It was also an amazing turnout and yeah. great energy there as well. Well, uh, let's start by asking you guys a question that uh, my parents keep asking me. Why the <laughs> hell are we on strike? What is going on? <laughs> Well, it's, it's nice that you still have parents. <laughs> I just want to say. I'm so sorry for your loss, David. Since both of mine are gone. Oh, um, All right, we're, we're starting on a note. Great. I was bringing your parents into it, bragging about having parents. I, uh, um, I, why are we on strike? We're on strike because uh, the Writers Guild of America every three years negotiates its contract. And we have a very hardworking and talented staff and leadership that looks at the issues that are facing writers. And we did a lot of research and a lot of talking to our members and writers not only are having trouble earning a living, but we're seeing a future where it will be even harder for writers to earn a living. And these were things that we needed to address in our contract negotiation and in, in sitting down with the AMPTP, the Association of Motion Picture and Television Producers who, who negotiate for all the companies. Uh, we made demands and they refused to talk about many of our most important demands. They said, we're not going to talk about this stuff. And so uh, this union had to exercise its power and go on strike. Yeah. Uh, and Danielle, like you're, you're a showrunner, correct? Yeah, I am. Um, and what changes have you seen over the last 10 years that have like brought us to this point? Well, streaming is the big thing, right? And, and I think it's why the energy is so great at the Netflix picket, because I think a lot of us know that that's where it started. Um, I just Everyone has had a bad meeting in that building. <laughs> Everyone, there's a lot of feelings about yeah, about that building. Um, you know, I just made a show for Netflix. And so I've been making television for 20 years. 19 of those years, uh, I was making broadcast TV. So what is what the kids call linear TV now, I think, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, we for decades, there was a model that worked making TV that way. Um, and that that model ha had to do with having writing staffs work through all three phases of production, pre-production, production and post-production for your parents so they can understand, um, you know, and, you know, there were there were whole staffs that wrote the whole time. And I think as a as a business, we never had to justify that or explain that to anyone or talk to anyone about that. Um, and, and so now the town is forced to talk about it. And I think it's a, a big piece. It's not the only piece, but streaming is obviously, I think, the headline of, uh, of what changed the business in the last 10 years. And so what the streaming model came in and did, what Netflix came in and did was say, I think we only need writers for a third of that time. And yeah. I think we can compress that third, you know, as little as possible. So basically they came along and decided to, to try to only hire writers for pre-production. So that's the time when we're coming up
up with the stories and we're creating the worlds and the characters and the arcs, you know, but the thought was, why don't you do all of that and write all of the scripts since we're going to make less episodes, you know? So why don't you Mm -hmm. just do it all in a finite number of weeks? And then that whole writing staff will let go and we'll keep one person. We'll keep a showrunner. If you're lucky, maybe you get a buddy. Um, But why don't you go do the other two thirds of the television business that used to be done by staffs of 10 to 12 people? um, And you do all the writing that's left to do and you do all the production and and that'll work great for us because we'll pay less people, um, less money for a shorter amount of time. And it's breaking the television business. It's that model is actually breaking the business. And so that, you know, it, it, it's a it's a big reason we're here. And we can talk about, obviously, all the ways it's, it's breaking the business. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of like uh, there's all these you know norms that were in place in the television business and in film, by the way, uh, that protected writers and that like this is how we made TV and movies for years, like having a writer's room. And then these companies have just decided, actually, what if we didn't do that as a way to pay us less? It's sort of like if, uh, you know, the, uh, the like airline pilots, you know, if it didn't, uh, I don't know what's in their contract, but what if their contract didn't say there has yeah. to be two pilots yeah. and three flight attendants? Or what if they only had to fly a third of the time, a third of the flight? That would be a terrible model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what if, what if the companies were like, how about it's just one guy yeah. in the plane? Or, or like, he also has to do the drinks. What, yeah. But but yeah. you don't ever get to land the plane. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like that's, that's the thing. Yeah. That, you know, we're, we, you know, we don't need pilots to land the plane. Yeah. Everybody doesn't have to learn how to land the plane. Yeah. That's, that is, I think. Well, and that's one of the problems because yeah. it used to be that writers would go to set because writing would happen during production. Right. And then writers would learn how to become showrunners because yeah. they'd go and they'd say, oh, wait, if I write, if I write X, then Y is going to happen. You know, the example I always use when I'm talking about this is the very first time I was writing for TV. I went from writing for a college humor, a website to show running my own show. And on my first season, I wrote a scene where someone jumps into a pool of water mm-hmm. and the line producer had to sit me down and be like, you can't, we can't shoot that. Don't get them wet. And I, and, and I, and I was like, why? Yeah. why? That doesn't seem hard. Why can't someone jump right. in a pool of water? And he said, well, because then we have to dry the wardrobe out between every take, hair, or we have to have five makeup. sets of wardrobe right. Right. and then we have to redo their hair and makeup. It would take all day. Just do the simple thing. So just have them jump in off camera right. and no one, you don't know that. Until you go to set and you see it have to be done, what's more difficult and and what isn't. And so they're like breaking these sort of like norms that have made TV uh, supportable and sustainable and good and a good business for years. And none of those norms are in our contract. And now we're trying to go in and and like put them back in and say, you have to you have to have a writer's room. You have to like pay writers through post stuff like that. Right. And we understand that we can't go back in time, that the the streaming model is the, the model that we're all in. Yeah. Uh, but we also understand that the, the, some of these norms that we're trying to essentially legislate into our, into our contract, as you, as you said, are led to profitable, uh, yeah. TV and movies like that, that, that the companies have benefited from this ongoing school that, that, that is, yeah, they've all life. been made rich by our, work. and, yeah. and so as Daniel said, like they're breaking the business because not just in terms in the short term, but in the long term. And, you know, we, we've heard from, uh, execs across the board that, that they're not happy with, with, um, the way some of their shows are run. And that that's a function of the fact that, that showrunners aren't getting the experience they need yeah. from other writers to learn how to do it well. Um, and so th- this is, uh, 
this is a, a an ongoing problem that we're trying to we're trying to fix in this negotiation. What do you think beyond streaming has changed in the business to like zoom out a little bit? Because obviously streaming has come in, mm-hmm. but it seems as though you know, uh, look, we we've had a union for ninety years. Right. The guild has just celebrated its ninetieth birthday, um, and television has been around since the forties. Right, um, and it was an extremely profitable right. uh, business where we had all of these norms and these systems. What is causing them business wise to want to destroy all this to, you know, lay people off or, or underpay talent when, you know, the whole business was founded on right. uh, paying talent. Well, well, this is a problem that we've seen, uh, in a lot of businesses and that the consolidation of companies that, yeah. that we, we used to have many more companies that we worked for. Uh, now we're down to six, there will be five or five, I, what, what is the number? And that it's, it's a low number yeah. and, and it'll probably go down to four as these tech companies gobble up these other companies. And so what that does is it, it reduces competition. Uh, so for instance, when I started out in the business, which was a long time ago, um, if you sold something, you had, uh, many different places to try to sell it. And they, and there was, it, it was in the company's best interest to, uh, to uh, pay you well if they wanted your product, because if they didn't pay you well, you might go somewhere else. Right. And as these businesses become consolidated, there's less competition, less places to get hired, less places to sell your work, and that reduces competition and and then reduces salaries. Yeah, when I pitched Adam Ruins Everything in 2015, I pitched. TBS, TNT, True TV, Discovery, uh, a bunch of other like right. nonfiction channels. Now those are all one company. You have one meeting at right. what is now called Max to pitch all of those places, half those networks. Right. I mean, they still exist on your cable channel, yes. but they're run by one boss. Right. Yeah. And I also want to just point out on the business side of things, you know, I I think we're, we've been accused of, well, we can't go back to a time where things like this. And for all the reasons I, you know, I think David is saying, but I I would just like to point out Netflix is selling ads Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, you know, they were the great disruptors and, and they were the only streaming, you know, model that didn't, that didn't have ads. And now they do, you know, so I just want to say that, um, it's fair to you know to look at the big picture yeah. and for these studios to look at the big picture too because when they say that to us as members of the negotiating committee you know yeah. talking about well you can't go backwards and then the great disruptor is selling ads I kind of go yeah. look something work some things work and the things that work we should take into the future and the things that don't we should leave behind right. and and I you know I I think that that that's the smart way to move forward and I think that ultimately we need to find a deal that does that right yeah no absolutely and I think that that that's the the other piece of it is the the other thing that's changed is that these companies used to be about um, making good product to make profit. Now it's about profit growth. It's about pleasing Wall Street. So you uh, just uh, making profit isn't enough in it, right? You got to make sure that your profit keeps growing. Yeah, and and these companies are enormously profitable. Like that's the other thing too. We and this is really tangential a little bit to what Danielle just said, which is um, we're also not asking for something they can't afford to give us. Yeah, like like they are still making enormous profit from the product that we create. Yeah. Uh, so the idea that we can't make a living while these companies are enormously pros- profitable is also something that needs to be addressed. And so a lot of people. 
you know, they react to that a little bit skeptically. They're like, hold on a second. Writers can't make a living. I have always thought of television writing. Oh, they're all rich. They're all driving Teslas and et cetera. Um, and then Tesla owners will be like, Teslas aren't that expensive. And it's like, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you bought a car that looks expensive, right. uh, but you know, don't have an yeah. argument with me just because you don't like everybody's it looking for an argument. <laughs> but you know, there, there's that, there's that stereotype, right? Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, what is it really like for, for writers in Hollywood right now? Well, there's no question that, that in the old days, again, when I started out, <laughs> uh, writing was a really good profitable career. If you had some longevity in the business, there was, there was ways to get promoted or ways that your, your, your quote, that is what you got paid to write would go up as you stayed in the business. And there was sort of a road to success. And there were a lot of really well-paid, uh, um, prosperous writers. Now, uh, with, with, uh, this new streaming model, writers work for much less time. Uh, half of our writers work at what we call the WGA minimum, which is, which is, uh, the minimum somebody's supposed to be paid. Yeah. And now half of us are getting paid. That's that. supposed to be the floor, but That's for a lot of people it's become the ceiling. Exactly. And, uh, I was about to say that. <laughs> and, um, and, That's uh, where I'm the host. <laughs> and then, so that, so, and that's all become a function of this new business model where writers are, jumping from job to job, that there, there's no security, there's no sense that you're moving up, that you're making more, you're just going to get that salary for the rest of your career that doesn't allow you to, in, for, in some cases, doesn't allow you to live in the city where you work without a second job, uh, certainly doesn't allow you in Los Angeles to buy a house or have a family. Yeah. Uh, you, you are, and again, that's a very common um, situation for workers in America. And our argument is uh, that the companies we're working for are enormously profitable. This shouldn't, this shouldn't be the case. Yeah. We should be able, there should be a road to success. Daniel, have you seen this happening to like writers you work with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, uh, one of the staff writers on, on the last show I did, um, she has a part-time job at a, at a cookie store. I mean, you know, this is, this is, um, and she's someone who came through the ranks and, and paid her dues and was a, a script coordinator and, you know, a writer's assistant and, and, you know, um, people who are familiar with the business might know that, you know, those are the people who handle the scripts basically for mm -hmm. writer's room and you pay your dues and she did that for years and she she finally got the first writing job, but it was in this, it was a Netflix show in this model. And she, you know, she worked for a finite number of weeks and then that was it. And then to try and find the next job, I think the thing that people maybe don't understand and why would you? My family doesn't understand anything about Hollywood because it doesn't make sense and they're yeah, not wrong right. about that. But, you know, you <laughs> might, you might not get your next job or your next show, um, you know, for a few right. months or a year, you know, that the, any numbers that are floated out there about what writer's minimums are, it's like, but that's not 52 weeks. Right. That's not how it works. Yeah. And so in, 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 even when I was, you know, I'm old, I'm old too. I mean, I'm not as old as everybody, as me. In the as room, me. but I'm old. The, are your parents so, still alive? Um, one of them is half, <laughs> half of them are, half of them are alive. Congratulations. But if there is, I'm halfway up. So, you know, but I was able, I'm very grateful for the people who gave, 
came before me in this union and gave me the protections that allowed right. me to make a career. Right. So I wasn't having to get a second job, um, you know, but I, but there wasn't constant security shows get canceled. The first show I was on got canceled, you know, and it was eye opening because they tell you, get your, take your little box, put all the cute things you put in your <laughs> office and take it home. And I, I remember saying, but then we don't come back. And they're like, no, you go home. You're go it's forever. It's done. Like, you're never coming back. And you know, and I, how but old I, were you when this happens? I was, how, why, why didn't you understand? I guess what I didn't, but the thing is, it is kind of, that's what I'm saying. Even when you're in it, that yeah. was my first year. Right. But what I didn't understand was it could be gone like that, you yeah. know, that, that all of a sudden it's gone. And then I remember being so scared going, I don't know when the next job is going to come. So that's the environment we know we're signing up for. It's yeah. not, it's yeah. not a stable career. And I think that's the big piece that maybe people who aren't in the career don't understand what a writer's life looks like. So it's that in addition to all the things that David's saying about, you know, you know, vertical integration and what that's doing to, you know, how many jobs are out there and how it all works. But the truth is we know as writers and feature writers too, that's the wild west. I mean, that's just, it, it's so hard to get a movie made. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think people even outside of the business know that, you right. know, when something wins an Academy Award and it was like developed for 12 years and then, you know, it was like, it's crazy that there's not stability in this business and we know that and that's okay. But that's why there needs to be minimum protections. Yeah. It's what we're fighting for because that's it's not a business funnel that's nine to five, that's five days a week the way that other industries might be. It's 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 um it's very erratic. And you know, we have to make sure that 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 writers of today can be writers of tomorrow or that they can even just stay writers of today. Like it's hard yeah. enough, you know, right. to figure it out. So yeah, I definitely know people who are in that situation. And I think there are hundreds unfortunately, if not thousands of stories of our membership that, that are, people are struggling to yeah. survive. Let's talk about screenwriters for a second. Cause you brought them up. Yeah. Um, you know, movies are like in many ways, like the high point of American culture, you know, it, like it, they're, they're one of our greatest art forms. They were, you know, largely invented and developed here in the United States. They're some of the most valuable media properties that people around the world watch. Uh, you know, the, the, the American film industry is still the envy of the envy of the world. Right. And it's, you know, you, those are some of the most profound art experiences anybody has, I think is watching, uh, is watching films. Um, yet it's so tough for writers of films, uh, as far as, you know, even the problems that we're talking about TV writers have, uh, yeah. screenwriters, uh, in many ways have it even worse like uh, can you guys tell tell us a little bit about those challenges yeah i mean the because of the la that la lack of competition uh, lack of competition less less movies are developed they're developed in the sense of a writer is hired to write a script mm -hmm. um so what what happens is now screenwriters have to face a, a enormous um uh uh impediments to to getting their work even sold uh and so as a result a lot of writers are finding themselves doing uh enormous amounts of of work for free trying mm. to develop an idea with a producer or uh and then unfortunately even once they sell their their idea um writers are pressured to work for free it's against our contract to make a writer work for free uh but what the that would be a bad contract if it, we had it in there that you could work with <laughs> yeah, yeah but it, but yeah. They sort of say, hey, oh, I know you only have two passes in your contract, but oh, we were really thinking, could you maybe just make right. some tweaks? And if you want to keep that good relationship yeah. with a producer who's holding a big final payment over your head, you're going to be inclined, as I felt many times in my career, to, to want to play nice and say, mm -hmm. okay, okay, I, I want to make you happy, so let me do it. I was, about, I, for yeah, years. I was about to say that. And uh, <laughs> 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 uh, 
I'm so sorry. No, no, it's fine. You're the host. You're the host. <laughs> um, well, I like to talk too, you know. <laughs> I know some of this stuff. Uh, but no, that's exactly it. And uh, because of the insecurity of the, of the profession that we're in that Danielle was talking about, screenwriters are always thinking not just about their current job situation, but the next job. Yeah. And if I get a reputation of not playing playing ball and not and being difficult and saying you got to pay me for everything I do, you feel like uh, they won't hire me for the next one. Mm -hmm. And it's a very again, I've been in that situation too. Actually, I did a I I I'm not primarily a a, a movie writer, but I I when I was president of the guild. Uh, I also at the same time had sold a movie uh, and I was getting to write a movie for, for uh, Paramount and uh, it was a very big job and I was very excited and all the way through I was uh, I was really worried what what if they ask me for free work mm. what am I going to do I'm mm. president of the guild and what am I what am I going to do and all the way through they paid me for every step and I got to the end and they, and I never had, never, no one ever asked me for a day of free work. And I actually asked them, I said, yeah, I'm kind of surprised you guys didn't ask for a free pass. And the producer looked at me and says, we can, you're president of the guild. <laughs> so they know, they know. <laughs> they, they know. Wow. Everybody knows. Wow. So that's the two things is uh, you don't want to work for free, become president of the Writers Guild. Uh, uh, Which is, by the way, an unpaid job. It's an unpaid job. And I want to talk about that in yeah, a bit, but right, right. your thought. But the other, or, or, you know, but it really speaks to the fact that they absolutely understand that this is wrong. Yeah. That this is against the contract, that they could get in trouble if a writer reported them. Yeah. And it goes, it keeps happening because, uh, because of the the dire situation feature writers are in. Because of the power imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, it was I, I, I mean, first we should let everyone know the AMPTP assured us that there is no free work in yes. features. Yeah. That it's actually that's called right. collaboration. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So everyone rest assured that yeah, that's yeah. we that raised this issue to them and I, that's what they said. That's what like, they it's said. just collaboration. Yeah, collaboration. I, I felt comforted by that. No, I do I, something that I've learned beyond the negotiating committee, and this is to everything. I didn't hear I didn't know that story, which is an amazing story. <laughs> um, but this speaks to that, and I actually got asked. Um, from a, by a reporter yesterday, kind of a, in this topic, but power, right? That there's a lot of like, well, who gets what? And I, I realize as being part of the committee that what we're doing is we're making sure that it's power is not a requirement to get what you need and to get paid for your job. Mm -hmm. And that like the MBA, like the, 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 the base, this is like, okay, you have to pay us this, you have to do this. And you know, the union has fought for this since its existence to make sure that the studios don't take advantage of us because we don't all have the same amount of power. So yeah. the pressure, you know, the fact that that happened for David and we know that that doesn't happen for other writers. And, you know, I, the, the thing I was asked yesterday was like, we were talking about the television business and the model and the reporter said, so why did you go work at Netflix? Netflix, which was a really good, fair question, you know, because mm, I'm right. sitting there saying, here's the problem. And I said a couple of things. One is I I didn't, I hadn't fully been in the streaming model, so I didn't completely understand. I knew because I had friends and I, you know, I kind of knew what was happening, but I didn't know exactly. And I said, the other thing is that I think I thought I had more power than I did. Mm. I thought I, 20 years of making television, that they would trust me if I said I needed writers <laughs> longer, that, that, that there would be right. some amount of like a discussion and what 
happened was I was told no, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think another thing that, you know, the AMPTV told us is that, well, you guys dictate how long you want writers and then we provide, you know, this fairy tale of what's happening. And the truth is they know they're, they're taking advantage of loopholes constantly with regard to how we're treated, you know, by these studios. And, and so I, something I guess I'm what I'm saying is I'm proud to be a member of a union and proud to be on the negotiating committee because what we're all thinking about is we need to make sure that there's a basic amount of security for all of our writers in all of the industries of you know right. the writing that we do and and that's really what this contract is that's what's negotiated every three years and it's you know that's the <laughs> what did what did they tell us we were lucky to have term employment yes the truth is we're lucky to be part of a union. That's the thing I'm actually grateful for yeah, is yeah. to be part of a union because that statement is so offensive and luck has nothing to do with mm -hmm. it. It's all yeah. union right. power, you right. know, and that's. That's what she said to us in the room. She said, oh, writers are uh, the Carol Lombardini, the chief negotiator for the AMPTP, which is all the companies coming together, said, oh, writers are lucky to have term employment, meaning we're lucky to be on for a guaranteed amount of time at all. Meaning that if they wanted to, they could take that away. Oh, hey, you're lucky. You're lucky yeah. to give this to you. Yeah. When what we're fighting for is to have that be put in our contract so that we have that security. Right. Yeah. And as a union, we can take collective action, which is what we're out there doing at every studio, yeah. you know, we're walking together is to say, actually, we're a union. So you can't do that to us. And if we weren't a union, they would do it to us all the time. So that's why I'm proud of, yeah, 90 years ago that, that right. you know, that we form this union and, and LA is, you've probably heard us chanting it. If you've driven past the studio, yeah. LA is a union town, you know, yeah. and, and, and there's a reason why we need to protect ourselves and work together to make sure, um, that, yeah, that, that we, we have this, these basic, you know, yeah. kind mm -hmm. of. When, when I think about that stereotype that, you know, in, in Hollywood, everyone's well-paid, um, that all the people who, who make the shows are well-paid, uh, it's only because of the existence of unions, because this is one of the strongest union yeah. towns remaining right. in America. And then not, not just for us, but for the directors, for the actors, for the crew members, for the truck drivers, uh, and, and other trades as well. Uh, but also the companies are constantly trying to change that. They all hate the unions. They're all constantly yeah. trying to break the unions. Uh, and and it, using every technique that they can. And they're yeah. doing it to all the unions in, in different ways. And it's our job as a union to like step up once every 15 years or so and, right. and really strongly say, we're not going to allow that to happen. And and I, I relate to what you said that that's, you know, I'm, I'm very aware that if in 2007 we hadn't gone on strike yeah. to get the, I wasn't in the guild at the time, but if the guild had we gone were. Then, you, <laughs> sorry to constantly be undermining it. I'm, so, I'm a spring chicken. Uh, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was a comedian in New York. I wasn't right. in the guild yet, um, but I knew that it was for it was for coverage of the internet. It was to make yeah. sure that the Writers Guild had coverage of the internet. My second show I ever did, one of the two shows I made, was for Netflix. If it weren't for that fight, I wouldn't have health insurance right now because right. I, that show would have been made non-union. Yeah. And so it's like, all right, now it's my turn to take a fight that's going to benefit me. And yeah. but also other people later on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and that was, I mean, that, that fight in 2007 was really, w was a difficult one in the sense that it was hypothetical. There was no streaming in 2007. It was all, uh, Netflix was a DVD company. Hulu, yeah. went, Hulu went live the day the strike ended. And so in that, in that case, we were looking at a future that we were, that guild staff had sort of figured out and with the leadership and we, we had to, to, we're fortunate that our, we have a very smart, well-educated membership that we could 
appeal to to say, look, this is what the future is going to be. If we don't get this coverage now, if we don't go on strike for this now, we are going to be looking at a very bleak future. And, and it's very similar to what's going on right now. Mm. Like, obviously, writers are suffering now, uh, but we're seeing this is not just a moment in time where they're suffering, but this is a trend that's going to get worse. Yeah, and if we don't do something about it now, we we are facing a very bleak future as writers. We're facing potentially the end of the Writers Guild because if we don't, if we if we don't put some parameters around these things, less writers will be hired, less writers will earn a living, and all the things that kind of give us our power, you know, our collective might uh, around earnings and pension and health, if that all goes away, we lose our power as a union. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a great example of that personally, which is that, you know, the, uh, for folks who don't know the area, the, of the guild that I work in is, is broadly called comedy variety. It's like right. late night writing, nonfiction comedy writing. I'm a stand up comedian and, and all my friends do that type of work. And, you know, for, for decades, the, uh, the standard for that has been on a late night show. You know, you have a 13, like if you're right for one of those shows, you're guaranteed a 13 week contract, you're paid a certain amount every week. And that's like one of frankly, the very few good paying jobs of, of any kind for that type of writing, um, on SNL or on to the tonight show or something like that. Um, and the best and final that we got from best, the final offer that we got from the MPTP what, for, for that in streaming was that instead of being paid on a 13 week contract, they'd pay us on a day rate that they, that they could hire us one day right. and fire us the next day. And I, I looked at that and said that, that means the end of this job. Like, uh, you know, that, that means that, uh, you know, I, I literally grew up hoping to have one of those jobs and then lucking into, you know, making, my own show instead. But, you know, it, that's no longer a career. Um, yeah. if you're being paid on that rate, that's a, that's a side hustle. That's they, they'll, you know, you, Hey, maybe, maybe on Monday and Tuesday, you get to go in and pick, uh, you know, pitch some jokes to the night, to the night, tonight show before you go to the comedy club, you know, on Thursday and Friday to try to make a living. Um, and so it really does feel that, that existential and yeah. everybody, and that's just to me personally, yeah. I know every late night writer feels that way, but every screenwriter has a version of that fear. Um, and sure. every, every episodic writer does too, because we've seen it happening to us. We've seen the steps on the way towards right. them eliminating what we do. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think something that a lovely thing that's happening right now, and I think you can, we can feel it on the picket lines, certainly as members of this union, is that we learned about each other's experiences in a way that yep. maybe we hadn't before. So yeah. all of the writing that you're talking about, what you did is Appendix A. Yes. And I think there are a lot of it's writers who didn't part even of know, contract. why yeah. is it called Appendix right. A? I don't know. Maybe you can explain it. It doesn't really matter. You right. just yeah. need to understand who in, who in our guild is Appendix A and it's comedy variety, like you're saying. Yeah. And and daytime and soap opera writers right. are also in, under that. And, and so, you know, I think that, that we all realize that we're fighting for each other yes. and it's why we're so unified fight. And I think it does have a different feeling than 2007-8 to, to me. I wasn't oh, on the totally. negotiating committee, yeah. but I just think that we really are, like, we really are, um, I think, the labor movement in general it, in America, you know, this is a time when we're all kind of getting informed and involved uh, in, involved with that and understanding, well, what are people going through in Amazon warehouses and Starbucks and, you know, all of these amazing movements. Um, and I think within our own guild, I've just seen it. I've talked to people online. I, I had someone call me and ask me about Appendix A. She was an episodic writer. She wanted to know about Appendix A and mm. what is it and understand more about it. Um, and I just, I think that's a really good thing that we will carry forward yeah. um, to, to be able to understand we don't all do the same thing. And a lot of us do cross over into multiple, yeah. you know, kind of areas of writing work. But I've, I've really, uh, 
appreciated the conversations and certainly on the negotiating committee, yeah. we represent, you know, we try and represent the entire union. So we're really diverse in terms of what writing area of writing we're, we're in. And yeah. I think that that's been hugely valuable. We'll never lose that as a, as a union. Right. Well, I want to talk more about how we actually build that power in the union, but we've got to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more David Goodman and Danielle Sanchez-Witzel. As a factually listener, you're probably aware of my unwavering commitment to online privacy. Well, Delete Me has been an indispensable tool for me for many years, long before they even started advertising on this show. I've been using their wonderful service. In today's digital landscape, you know, it's alarmingly easy for data brokers to traffic your personal information online. In fact, I would almost guarantee that your personal information is on multiple data broker sites on the internet right now. It's not even the dark web, it's the regular web. These data brokers may be peddling and exchanging your name, phone number, and home address all without your knowledge. And trying to locate and remove all this data yourself can feel like an impossible task because there can be dozens of these sites. But that is what Delete Me does for you. Delete Me's team of experts scours the depths and the breadth of the internet to locate and remove your personal data. Within just seven days, you'll receive a comprehensive report detailing their findings and what they have removed. It can be hard to believe, but approximately 41% of Americans find themselves vulnerable to various forms of online harassment, and this means doxing, scams, and even identity theft, all of which pose significant threats to your financial security and could potentially derail career opportunities. I mean, I used to get weird people calling my cell phone all hours of the day or night until I signed up for Delete Me and it cut it right out. So if you wanna safeguard yourself like that and live with the peace of mind that experts are hunting down and removing your personal information every three months, then check out Delete Me. Go to joindeleteme.com slash Adam and get 20% off for all consumer plans with the code Adam. That's joindeleteme.com slash Adam. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Did you notice how many times you talked about being the host and like I created my own show and the hostess? And yeah, yeah, that? I have like, no a, a lot. You thought, I, like, you thought I talked about that a lot. I think you wanted to make I sure mean, that. I have a feeling segment two is going to really, yeah. come, hard, <laughs> really gonna come hard. Well, he wants to make sure people watching it know yeah. that it's his show. Yeah, even no, it's, his show. Yeah. it's hard to there's tell. No way, there's no, no way, way to, to know. There's no way to know. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm keeping the ball busting in. We're back mm -hmm. with David Goodman <laughs> and Danielle Sanchez-Witzel. I can't lose that gold. I deserve it. So look, I want to know what is is different about the Writers Guild and how we organize things. Because there's, there's a lot of unions in America, right? Right. Uh, we are a union, though, that really actually mobilizes member power. We're right. actually right now on the picket line trying to starve the companies out and right. say, you don't get any more content because we're the people who make it. Um, that's a very difficult thing to marshal that kind of power. And yeah. and so how do we do it? Like, like what is our, you know, let's talk about our democratic process and and, you know, how we work with our members. That's a complicated question, Adam. I uh, <laughs> uh, so the so the guild historically, um, I always like to talk a little bit about where it all started. You had writers who were working under studio contracts, and they didn't have any control over credit or they, they were being paid. And, and here were writers creating things and a studio could literally, um, uh, hire, hire, uh, hire writer, write a whole script, uh, and then have a, another writer write a little piece of it and give that last writer 
the credit for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where the, the guild started, which is writers fight, fighting for their credit. This is right? in the 1930s. Yeah. And uh, that's really where, where it started. That was like the first thing the writers got. The, the, the guild determines your credit on a show or a movie. And that goes back to then, to when the guild started. And then over time, there was money associated with that. Uh, obviously back then it was really about your career. If you obviously you wrote Casablanca, you, you'd want everybody to know that because then it would help you get another job. Um, that, that, oh, actually, I don't know. Was Casablanca hit when it came out? I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Those movies that Whatever the, flop and they even. Yeah, it might've been, it might've been. Uh, but anyway, uh, leave it to the kids to figure that out. Use the internet thing. Um, but, uh, money became associated with that as the guild kind of grew its power. Um, there were things called residuals where it was a way for um, writers to benefit from the reuse yeah. of their, of their work. Um, and so now uh, we, we, we have a, we have a board of directors, which is elected. They're writers. They're mm -hmm. there are leaders. They they don't. I'm on the board currently. You're I on the board. A couple of years. And ago. I, I was on the board for about 15 years, and then I was vice president and president uh, for a few years. And then um, that that leadership body is meant to uh, stay connected to the uh, membership in general, and and make sure that the the concerns and, and of of the members are addressed either in contract negotiations or between contract negotiations. And we, we have, I think, uh, a membership body that writers are collaborative. It's the nature of the job. Mm -hmm. uh, feature writers have to collaborate with producers and directors yeah. and then actors and then television writers, same thing. And they've got to collaborate with each other. And I think that gives us an enormous leg up, uh, in, in the sense, uh, of we're already used to working with other other people to get what we want and or need. And so that that that's that to me that's sort of a generalized sort of core description of of what the guild does. You want did you want more specific? No, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I think it's that was good. It was really good. <laughs> I think it's important to say that that leadership again is right. all unpaid. It's it's yes. people doing volunteer right. time for their own community. It's right. often when you're a president or when you're right. leading the negotiations as you are, it's a full-time job for those of us who are on the negotiating right. committee. It, we were spending 40 hours a week at it. Um and uh, you know, I I think for that reason the the membership does feel generally represented. Like uh, Danielle, you've you've not I don't believe you've been on the board. Never. This like is that. the first time next year, that you've been next involved. year. Maybe it's an, it's an amazing experience. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Uh. Well, well, so how, uh, just, just tell me a little bit about, you've been in the guild for 20 years, that you, yeah. as you've said, what has been your experience as a member, you know, uh, feeling represented by the guild and, right. and, and, you know, the democratic process? Yeah. I mean, I've always, I, I've always appreciated being a member of a union. I understood that, you know, health and pension, that that was coming from that, from, from, you know, union work, um, residuals, you know, that, the things that were the the things I was saying as starting a career as a TV writer and being on a show that got canceled, but somehow figuring out how to pay rent until the next job, that all of those things, you know, um, 
that I had were were because of the union, because because yeah. people came before me and made sure we had those and understood what was broken back then before me and fixed that. And here we are figuring out what's broken now and trying to fix that for you know for current members in the future. But but um, I, I certainly think getting engaged with the guild, um, I would advise people to you know taking a turn doing it just because they think well one because some people have been doing it so long that it's like is this no time for them um, <laughs> time for them to be done. No, I'm, I I I say it with such love and respect. I go, I don't know. How, I'd so I don't know. Like it's a lot. It's a lot to do. Yeah. I think there's a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, I certainly jumped into the deep end here on a negotiating committee that it turned into you know strike action. I'm really I'm really grateful for it. Um, but I you know I I I think I always had an awareness, but I didn't I, until you're in there. You know, I I say to members of our of our, of our um, union get on a committee and be, you know be, just yeah. get involved because I think that seeing it up close um, I think you have a much deeper appreciation for the staff I mean I can just speak to that yeah. specifically I didn't understand how many smart lawyers were in that building <laughs> whose job was just to fight for fight for us every day I've like, met two or three people uh, who I've met on our staff from serving on the board and these are our these are the staff members who we employ who yeah, actually right. are paid to work for the union and I've met them and thought my god this person could work in DC this person could work for yeah. a congressperson or in the white house they have such such policy brains they're yeah. such incredible research yeah. wonks yeah. um they know what's going on and and what we need to push for it's incredible yeah, yeah to be able to see that I didn't I didn't so I don't think I fully grasped but even really until the negotiating, being on the negotiating committee, I just didn't understand. And, you know, the way our, as you guys know, because you were in the room with me, but the way the caucus room worked where we were, uh, um, which is just the room where the writers met when during negotiations yeah. when we were kind of on our own, you know, we actually, we were at a table in the middle and all of the staff surrounded us on the outside. That's just how they set up the room, I guess, so we yeah. could talk to each other. But it was an amazing feeling to walk in every day. I don't know if we ever, ever actually verbalized that or I didn't to anyone, right. but it was like they were on the outside protecting us and we were right. on the inside talking about what we needed. Right. And it's very much the way the guild functions, you know, that yeah. the room was a function. That's the, a great metaphor for... Yeah. Uh, for it is. Yeah. And there's a thing that happens in looking at the broad swath of American unions where, where you know, sometimes the staff, the people who are paid to be there every day will sort of end up running the union to a certain extent. Um, uh, but in, in this union and a union that's really run democratically, it really is. They're like, Hey, you guys are the writers. You're the yeah. ones who we're trying to serve. Yeah. You make the decisions about what to do. We are here to advise and inform yeah. right. and uh, steer a little bit. If, if there's something we think you need to know about, yeah. but it's, it's a truly democratic process from top to bottom. And it ends up being really inspiring to participate in. Like for me, it was addictive. Every time, you know, I went to a meeting, I was like, wait, this is, wait, I yeah. said something. And then we we did something different because I said something. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, that's the thing. When I um, when I joined the union in in 1988, I have a cousin uh, who was a union organizer in the and then became uh, chief counsel for for the communication workers union. And her name's my cousin Judy, and she's so she was a real union uh, person. And she said to me, "You got to get involved. Your union is the one bureaucracy in your life you can have an effect on." True. And uh, I didn't get involved for many years. <laughs> You're like, fuck you, Judy. Uh, oh, that's very good. Yeah. No, I was. it was a good long time. And I got involved right right before the 2007 strike. Um, and then once I was involved, I realized how much of a, a thread we're all hanging by, that, that that involvement in your union isn't just something where you can have an effect, but it's so necessary that um, it – 
a union can go away tomorrow. Yeah. Like if, if, if people aren't dead, if the members aren't dedicated to its survival, uh, and don't keep that minute to minute, uh, uh, consciousness of of the union's fragility uh it can go away tomorrow yeah. and and that's why i stayed involved because because i i felt like oh i i've gotten so much from this union i mean I, I i've been able to stay exactly what we're fighting for the ability to stay a writer my career has had a lot of ups and downs a lot of period where uh uh, I mean, one one story in particular where I was done as a writer, and this was about uh, twelve years into my uh, thirty-five year career. I was done. I couldn't get work. I was the last place I had worked had not gone well. Um, it was very hard for me to get a job. My wife and I are uh, talking seriously about I maybe need to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, I start, I start the day I start like figuring out a new resume that maybe I can get a job working at a studio as a development person. I got a residual check for this terrible show that I had done. <laughs> awful, awful show, but it played somewhere and it gave me this giant chunk of a residual check that allowed me to ride ride out this period and that was because the guild existed that was because other writers who i didn't know 20 30 years before had fought for residuals yeah had gone on strike for residuals yeah and now i could stay a writer a little a little longer and and got uh shortly after that got hired at family guy which changed my my career completely yeah um oh family and, guy wasn't the awful show no Okay. Well, some, I was thinking so about. I have other stories about people saying it is, but I, <laughs> I, uh, uh, Rabbi's wife was actually the best story. Anyway, uh, oh, that's a that's an awful show. Actually, that's actual quote. Uh, but uh, um, but uh, no, it was a show that was not a success, but it had it had run for a year and uh, in syndication, and it gave me this check and it let me run it out. And that's what we're talking about: is that the guild is there so that writers can ride out the rough spots and have a career that lasts. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I'm very lucky that the guild has existed in my career, and we've got to make sure. It does for others. And one of the things you said made me think about, like when I'm on the picket line, something that really blows me away is, you know, we're fighting against the machinery of capitalism. You know, yeah. like we, we talk about the people, Carol Lombardini, the MPTP, Ted Sarandos, no. whatever. They're not actually that important. It's the machinery of capitalism that's trying to trying to push us down. It's mm -hmm. Wall Street making the companies do these things. Right. And we are fighting back against them using just our humanity, mm -hmm. using nothing but writers talking to other writers, calling them up saying, Hey, do you want to go to the picket line today? Right. Hey, make sure if you're thinking about, you know, doing some work, don't do it. Remember we're on strike. Just those, those connections between us, those bonds of, Oh, Hey, Danielle's on the negotiating committee. I know her. She's fighting for me. I know she's a good person. Just oh, nobody says that, but <laughs> <laughs> just those, just those conversations, right? We're just yeah. literally yeah. 10 to 12,000 people talking to each other yeah. using nothing but our like raw humanity to try yeah. to fight back against them. Right. And, I'm convinced we're going to win. I know we're going to win because right. we're so unified. I, I'm convinced we're going to win too. It's, I am uh, too. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't think any of us would be here, you know, if, right. if we didn't think that. And I think there's, you know, certainly talking to people as I'm sure you guys both have too on the line, there's, there's stress and there's fear and there's optimism. There's all the things, you right. know, because they think we, we see our own value and, you know, um, 
we believe it. We don't question it. What is it? Anyone who's a storyteller understands this is a craft. And I think I was in an interesting conversation with someone the other day about when it turned to content is when things started getting problematic. They started and saying I thought, the word content. Well, I think yeah. it was very right. astute thing to say. It was like, that's true because what we do, you know, it is a craft. I think we, even, even the terrible shows you were on, there was some, there was some crafted, look, I've been on many shows, you know, when someone says list your credits, it's like, I'm going to list so many shows you didn't see, but right. you know that there are a lot of us who are working writers who are working on shows you didn't see, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that, yeah. that, because it takes a lot, you know, because we, right. because that's just what we, that's how the business works. And you, you know, and it, it but there is craft to it. And I think that we understand that, you know, yeah. um, and, and there's no way around it. And uh, America exports film and TV, even in this global marketplace, you right. know, I think there's been a lot of talk about, well, Netflix has all these shows and they can watch and then I'm sure there's, you know, there's, there's good content on there, but there's never going to not be a need for our content. There just yeah, isn't, right, right. you know, so there's got to be a solution to this because we're not going to stop making American television and films. That's not how this ends, you know? So, 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 um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the the way forward is is a fair deal. It's not a love. Uh, it's not a love of the job. Even no. though that was suggested how we. Yeah, David Zaslav said that. He says, "Oh, it's going to end because of a love of working. Love yeah. of working. The writers just they're going to miss working yeah. so it's much. So like, much. Oh, I wish I was working. Yeah, <laughs> that's he clearly doesn't understand writers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing is worse than writing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yet, and yet, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean it. it it seems as though what we really have to do is remind the people who run these companies yeah. that that we make the product, that they have nothing yeah. without us. And they're right. sort of sitting up there going, I can do it without them. And yeah. they've forgotten because it's been a while since 2007 that they they quite literally cannot. I, I think I, I think I look at it slightly differently in that mm. I think they 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 completely understand they need us, uh, but they rely on. Um, uh, a writer's feeling that that I can be replaced. I have no value. Mm. Uh, you know, there, it's a very security. That's a very smart thing to yeah, get from a writer. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that that I mean, I always assume I have absolutely no value. So <laughs> that that and and the companies understand that they there's a way in which they're. I don't know that they are conscious that they understand it, but they they. You know, in every deal that a writer makes for for a job, that they, they play on that. They play on a writer's desire. What Zaslav said, love of working. I, I I love that I get to write for a living, and so there's always that fear that it's going to be taken away. Someone's going to say, "You don't get to do this anymore. You've got to do the backbreaking labor your parents did," and that the um that killed them clearly because they're both dead, <laughs> and uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the, now I see why you worked on Family Guy. Yeah, but, that's dark. But um, they, they actually, they, they did. anyway, they worked very hard. I was just not backbreaking labor. But anyway, all I'm saying is that the companies understand how much they need us, but they're never going to acknowledge it, and they never have to. Uh, and they've sort of forced us to acknowledge it for ourselves because they're they're never going to give us that power uh, because they understand that they. If they could have gotten rid of us, they would have a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh. And I think there's something else. There was an amazing thing. So today at Netflix, which is where I was picketing this morning, there was a Latinx picket and there was a queer picket. So communities decided, okay, everybody, let's go and, and do this. So it was an amazing vibe. Just, to, you know, a 
huge, you know, huge loop of of beautiful writers walking together. And, yeah. you know, we started thinking about and talking about to some writers, this is a global marketplace. And that's the cool thing about streaming. That's the plus side right. of Netflix is that, you know, I have a show that's going to premiere in the summer to 190 countries. That's amazing. And we finally, and especially in the last, you know, f- three years, open the door wider in our own union, mm-hmm. you know, to storytellers who are who are telling the stories of underrepresented communities. And that's incredible. You know, that's incredible. It's we need to um, there's universality in, in all of those stories. You know, they just haven't had a chance to be told in movies and TV in the numbers that, you know, that 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 um other points of view have been represented in storytelling. And so I'm thinking about that and I'm going, well, Netflix of all the places needs that. They need those writers right. because that's a that their consumer yeah. that is global is going to demand stories from many different points of view. So for all the reasons you David just said and also this bigger point that I saw when I had so much pride being part of the Latinx picket this morning, I had so much pride walking with queer writers was like, you know, they need this and if we don't protect right. And make sure that those writers who are finally getting into the guild, that they can, one, sustain a career right now, to two, make sure that they are creators of shows and movies and, you know, you know, really telling their stories, that's going to be a big problem for these companies. You know, yeah. it's not broadcast linear television only that, by the way, also needs all of those changes. You know, it also needs those stories to be told. But it, there's a demand. If I'm paying you $16.99, guess what? I need these stories. And so... It's another reason why I I think, um, you know, and there are uniquely, um, you know, I I think we're just made up of so many communities as a Writers Guild in America that have, you know, just so many different perspectives that um, a global marketplace wants to see. And and so I think that, you know, that's that's a huge thing that's really coming. Like, I'm really realizing that as we're marching together. I'm really realizing that, hold on, we're actually, I think we said this, no one's ever going to tell the story this way, but we're saving them from themselves. And and I think they're never going to tell that story. But the truth is the model itself is breaking, certainly of television writing. I don't, I don't know if they don't believe us, they don't care. It doesn't matter. But us fighting is actually going to save this model and make sure the voices that I'm talking about are going to actually be able to stay in the business. And they're going to need all of that. All they care about is making money. We know that. But guess what? This is what money is going to, you know, to make money is going to demand these storytellers telling stories. And I think maybe we haven't talked about it as, you know, as much as we, as, as we can or should, but it certainly hit me this morning that, and that point and 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 how important those voices are to the business model. So they need us in a million ways, in ways that we aren't even talking about. And I'm point. so proud that all those writers feel represented by the guild yeah. because, you know, I, I mean, uh, one of the one of the sort of the sins of 20th century American unions was how exclusive so many of them mm-hmm. were to, right. you know, to minorities, folks of all types, mm-hmm. uh, anyone other than white men in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I really do feel that we're saving them from themselves, saving the companies from themselves yeah. because. I mean, if you look at the history of why is there so much great writing on American television, American movies is because this was the one industry that paid writers for throughout history. That's why Faulkner and F. Scott Fitzgerald came here and drank (laughs) themselves to death, you know, was because this is the place that they could actually. I don't know if we want to put that on. the Okay. Yeah, you're right. Well, how to sell a career. Yeah. (laughs) They had enough money to buy all that booze to drink themselves to death. Uh, But. 
like <laughs> there have been so many incredible writers have come through this industry yeah. because this is the one industry where actually you could get a little piece of all that massive profit that right. you can't from the magazine industry. Look at journalism today. Right. And, and how many writers cannot make a, a living, you know, uh, writing, writing for right. journalism. And it's like, is that what they want to have happen to this industry? Do they want to have, have the best writers in America say, well, I'm not going to Hollywood because they don't pay anything there. Mm -hmm. Cause you may, you get 500 bucks for writing a script, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? I mean, I think that part of the problem that we're facing is again, the, in the consolidation of those companies is that they will, they're going to either crush or gobble each other up. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we're going to see uh, if, if we don't, succeed in this fight, we're going to see uh, a run to the middle uh, in terms of content and all this sort of great, clever, uh, wonderful stuff that's been made in the last few years uh, won't be made anymore. And mm -hmm. it'll be, I, I was hearing that one of the studios was asking where we're, we want to develop lean back television, which is <laughs> uh, television you can watch while you're folding your laundry. Yeah. And and again, there's a there's room for that. Yeah. Obviously, I think it's it, called Netflix. I think, I, <laughs> <laughs> and there's room for that. Uh, but but that but that's what it'll all be. Yeah, it'll be sort of, and, and that's very sad because we are really seeing. We saw a real when the technology changed. When when the companies were competing for that streaming audience, we saw an explosion of creativity, explosion of of incredible work by writers and directors and actors, like things that, you know, were so memorable. And although I couldn't name one right now. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and that was out of competition. And once that competition goes away, yeah. we will, we will lose, we will lose that. We will lose exactly what uh, Danielle is talking about. Well, before we wrap up, let's talk about just uh, in terms of that middle of the road content, let's talk about AI for one second. Cause uh, you right. can't get out of an interview about this strike without being asked right. about AI. Um, uh, I'm uh, very much on the record as a skeptic about the technology. I feel that it's, I do, I do not believe that AI can do the work of a writer because writing isn't just outputting text, which is all these algorithms do. Writing is talking to the executives, talking to the director, you know, knowing what is cheaper, knowing that you can't have that scene where someone jumps into a pool, um, you know, adjusting things on the fly. It's, it's person to person work. Like you said, David, it's collaborative. Um, and you know, a, a fancy magnetic poetry, no matter how good it is, it yeah. can't replace that. But we still do have a genuine concern about it. Uh, I mean, Danielle, you were we were both in the room when they when they sort of like responded to our AI proposals. Like what what worries you about what could happen? Yeah, I mean, there are luckily there are members of the negoti negotiating committee that are way smarter than I am when it comes to <laughs> AI. But we really do have some people who really understand it deeply. I think this is the terms. This is the the broad strokes terms of how, how I think about AI and, and how it's coming for all and how it's coming for every industry, not not just ours. But, you know, I think if, and I think in, in television, because that's what I've done, for, you know, mostly in my career, but I think about, okay, if they are, if what happened when we brought tech in or what happened, I don't, I guess that's what we're, what happened when Netflix came in and yeah. streaming came in is, you know, it was like, okay, let's see how few people we can still get the job done right. with and how little we can pay them for how short amount of time. What can one person bear? And if that person 
gets tired, can then we just replace them with another person? I think that philosophy, for all of the reasons it comes from corporate greed and all the consolidation and all the things we're saying, if that philosophy is already in the test run phase, I'd say, which is what's been happening, you know, for the last six years, the test run phase of seeing how few people can we get away with using, then I don't know why they wouldn't go, can we get away with not using people? Yeah. That, that's how I think about it, broad strokes. And so I right. think we're, what we're here to do in this negotiations is protect us from, from get some foothold in all of the protections that we're going to need. Because what I can clearly see, and I went from 19 years of broadcast television, linear television, to one year of streaming, making two shows for two different streamers and going, oh, God, (laughs) you know, like this, this is what's happening. And so that what I'm saying, that fear is, I think, to me, who's not well-versed in AI and shouldn't be the one talking about it from 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 a technology standpoint, just from a how little can we get away with paying yeah. to still do this and st- to still make billions of dollars? That's what scares me about AI. Yeah. What do you think, David? I, I mean, I agree with all that. And I think that, you know, I, I because because I, I didn't really sort of start to fully understand it until recently, it does sort of compare in my mind to the, the, to the, to the thought process that I had in 2007 mm-hmm. when, when staff members of the Guild were explaining to me People are going to have uh, watch television shows on their computer. People are going to have things called smart televisions, which will hook in to the computer and the internet. And I was thinking, what is he talking about? <laughs> that that no one's going to watch TV. It takes it takes an hour and a half to download two vi- two two yeah. seconds of video. I no, that's never. They're going to never going to make television. So and here for, we are, and yet you know, here we are doing an interview on YouTube. Exactly. So uh, for me, whether you're a skeptic or not, the 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 Technology is impressive, and there's no question that somebody's going to try. Yeah, and then we we don't know what those advances are going to be, and maybe maybe there's a a hump that you get over very quickly where the AI can write scripts, and uh, and that and suddenly lots and lots of as as Danielle was saying, writers are out of a job, and and the fact is the technology of AI is such that. It, the way it is currently is it's it's what's called scraping uh, yeah. uh, scripts from the internet. So it's using writers' work that already exists yeah. to to do its work, or writing that's already exists to do its work, and um, that's just wrong. Yeah. Uh, we can't we can't let that in any way replace a writer. If it 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 may be a tool that a writer may use, but but it cannot be a tool that the companies use to replace writers. Yeah, I mean, here's here's my fear is that, look, again, uh, all these things do is output text. I don't think they'll be able to do if you if you had an AI that could talk to the director, right, right. and talk to all those other people, take notes from the studio, yeah. that would be truly a science fiction artificial. Now that I want to sign up for, they're very <laughs> takes notes from the studio. That, yes. Th- yes, that's a whole other. I, right. That would be yes, incredible. Would be yeah, <laughs> if we could assign them to do that, but like that's that that is. True. Truly a science fiction idea. We're, right. we're not nearly close to that. Um, what, what they currently have are these things that can chew up text and output new text. Yeah. My fear is that they say, okay, well, the AI output this great script. Right. Now we just need you to talk to the director, that, talk yeah. to the executive, go to set, go to the edit. Oh, but you didn't write it. Yeah. The AI wrote it. Right. We're going to pay you less than we used to be paid because yeah. and when we'll know that what we're doing is the work of writing, yeah. but they've used this loophole to... Um, 
sort of write us out of the process. And to me, you know, our, our proposals to them were like, Hey, just, uh, you, you can't, you won't don't do that. You know, like you can't pass off, uh, the work of an AI as the work of a writer and you can't assign us to rewrite an AI. And we kind of thought this would be an easy proposal because, uh, it's not even clear that the work of an AI currently is copyrightable. And so it's a zero cost proposal to them. And when they stonewalled on it, I was like alarming because it's, yeah, well, they said the quote was, we, we are, we don't want to inhibit our, our company's ability to take advantage of this technology. I mean, that was the quote. Yeah. And it's like, what is that telling you? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. like, it means they yeah, intend to do it. Yeah. Everything you're scared of, you should be scared of. Yeah. It's like the line I keep saying is it's like asking someone like, hey, would you agree not to pull out a gun and shoot me in the face like while we're at lunch? And they say, nah, I don't think I'll agree to that. And you're like, well, now I'm worried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't before. I was just covering my bases. But holy shit. Uh, and, and it's also part of this. Sounds I think, like a great lunch day. <laughs> I, I, Who do you go to lunch I with? roll strapped to every lunch. Okay. <laughs> I show up heavy. Um, but I, Daniel, you're right. That it's, yeah. it's part of this. They've been so intent on grinding down labor, not just for writers, but for actors, directors, and yeah. crew. Yeah. And doing more with as little people as possible throughout the entire economy. Right. right. That it's like, yeah, we can't put it past them. Um, so let's end here. I, I mean, I think one of the reasons that this fight has really resonated, has taken off in the media. We've gotten support from everywhere. We've gotten support from every other union in town, from unions that aren't even in our town, is because literally every worker in America is facing this. Yeah. Uh, we've got low unemployment, but nobody can afford to to pay rent anymore. Right. Um, and so we're very lucky, I think, to be in this union, heavily unionized industry where we have this infrastructure. We can we can go out and pick it, and and we are protected by labor law. A lot of folks don't have those unions at all. So for folks who are watching, who are like, you you know, who who like what we're doing here, maybe a little bit inspired by it. Do you have any advice for them? Uh, I mean, thank you. Uh, I, I, I I don't, I mean, advice. I mean, you can uh, show your support uh, if you're in LA or New York or a city where there are picket lines, join the picket line. Uh, There's also contributions. We've, we've spent, um, Writers have stepped up to to create an entertainment uh, fund to help uh, to help uh, uh, other people in our business support staff and and other union people who are out of work now because yeah. of our strike. Uh, obviously, contributions to that would be welcome. Maybe you put that at the end of your show. I, I will. Uh, <laughs> hey, he's the host. He'll decide what to do. <laughs> how how do we know he's the host? Well, right. <laughs> uh, uh, so very hard. Um, but uh, uh, you have any advice? I mean, I you know I, I do think social media is is, right. is some it, it existed oh, in two thousand seven eight. You know, so right. so when we were walking picket lines fifteen years ago, but it not in the way that it does now. Yeah. So there were there were some ways where we could see boards and stuff where people were talking about, but now you know the Duffer Brothers post from the Stranger Things. Twitter account yeah, yeah. that writing and production cannot be separated. So that show cannot be made until we right. get a fair deal. And fans of that show, first of all, know who they are, knew who they were, you know, from right. the start, because I think we have savvy audiences now who understand how film and TV are made and are using social media to say they support us, to say, I'm going to cancel my subscription until or, you know, they're they're going to be fans are going to be disrupted. And we're storytellers. We're not storytellers for the stories to go nowhere. We're storytellers for the stories to go to audiences, you you know. And so I think just from an emotional standpoint, seeing support in social media, I think, has been huge for all of us picketing. But I also think that there are, you know, the labor movement. Um, in America is 
led by young people, yeah. right? And I think social media is a tool of it. Yeah. So all of the ways that, you know, what is my advice is to do what you do, young people with yeah. social media, <laughs> you know, because I think that you're changing, they're changing the world and there's no putting a stop to that. That is grassroots. That is gone. That is happening. Even if Elon Musk is the owner of Twitter, Twitter is still used. I got back on Twitter just for the just for this because I was like, yeah. I don't want to miss things that are happening during the strike because it is a unifying way for me to talk to people all over the world about what's going on. And so I, I guess keep the conversations going with use social media the way you guys know how to use it, the way I love when someone tries to stop young people from doing something and they're like, just hold on, we're going to yeah, work yeah. around that yeah. very, quickly. very quickly. You know, and we have members of our own union, you know, who think that way. And, and um, you know, so I, I think that, that that's there are, that's the most positive, you know, revolutions right. have come out of social media. That's the most positive yeah. use of it. Obviously we know the downsides of it too. And, you know, so I guess what I'm willing, I'm saying is I'm willing to see you tell me my show is shit on Twitter. <laughs> if you are also supporting right. the right. fact that we are, we're, you know, there's a bigger cause here that, that we're, you know, right. cause it's used for both for yeah. sure. But, you know, I'm, I, I think that's just different. And I don't think these studios kind of thought through, you know, we got threatening letters. A lot of us who are on um, right. um, on overall deals, threatening letters. And I don't, because even when I when saw the them- The studio's telling you, you have to keep working. You have to keep working right. and here's what you do. And by the way, you can leave your union if you want to. And here's all the steps <laughs> that you need to be able to do that. Right. You know, and in 2007, eight, those letters were not mocked by fans right. of their favorite shows. Yeah. That yeah. was There was no option for that. Maybe there was an article, you know, then maybe there was something that was online. But now I'm seeing- People who are not in our union read those letters and go, what are they saying? And, you know, corporate greed and blah, 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 fight yeah. the man and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't know that these studios, I don't think, I don't think that they're affected by it. I just, right. you know, I just think that it's a different world yeah. that we're in. And so I think that that's where um, the support of people outside of our yeah. union is actually constructive, yeah. you know, and, and who knows what impact it will have, but I'm all for seeing what impact it yeah. does have, right. you know? And I think for... Folks who uh, I think one one thing that what we're doing now can demonstrate to people is that when you stand up against these companies, against right. capitalism, whatever whatever world you're working in, uh, people are going to stand up to support you. Right. Just like we've seen when Starbucks workers are organizing, yeah. when Amazon workers are organizing, Writers Guild members supported them. Uh, when our you know sister unions and entertainment are are going to have their you know are, are having their fights, we're going to have their backs, yeah. just like they're having our backs right now. Well, we already did during the IOTC. Last year, Writers Guild members stood up en masse to to support yeah. the the crews of who are represented by that union. And I think that is directly related to why IATSE is supporting us now. They see yeah. that we are allies. Yeah, and there's like it's like a new age of solidarity yeah, yeah. in Hollywood, but also yeah. in yeah. America. I mean, you know? I'm seeing writers posting about the UPS Teamsters, right. you know, contract and yeah. understanding what that's about. And right. I think I think the more we all, you know, the the workers of the world. Right. You know, um, are are able to kind of support Unite. each other. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> sorry, are you a Marxist? Okay, we're, <laughs> we're going to but you know, You've just I, been taken off YouTube. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing to kind of see us yeah. all be aware of each other's struggles and right. to say, yeah, if you stand up for me and I stand up for you, there's going to be way more of us than them, right? So yep. that's kind of how. That's how that works. Yeah. That's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much for being here, Danielle and David. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us on your show. I'll see you on the picket line <laughs> I'll see you on where the I'm not, I won't be hosting you anything. I'll just be, right. well, I'll be, I'm going to go visit my parents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. 
you once again to David and Danielle for coming on the show. If you want to materially support the Writers Guild strike, head to entertainmentcommunityfund.org, click donate, select film and TV from the drop-down menu, and donate as much as you can. That money will go to directly support crew members affected by the strike, and we thank you for doing it. If you want to support the show, head to patreon.com slash adamconover. I want to thank everybody who supports this show, especially at the $15 a month level. I'd love to read off some of your names. Uh, thank you so much to Rebecca Beya. Thank you to Andy Smith. Thank you to Christopher Wheeler. And thank you to Sirius Dinosaur. Very good username, Sirius Dinosaur. If you want to join Sirius Dinosaur, head to patreon.com slash adamconover. We'd love to see you there. Thank you so much to Tony Wilson and Sam Roudman for producing the show. And I also want to thank the folks at HeadGum, where we're getting set up. We are going to have one more dark week after this episode comes out because we're still getting set up in our new studio. But starting in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have new episodes for you every single week, both on the podcast feed and on YouTube. So excited about it. So stick around. We'll see you next time on Factually. That was a HeadGum Podcast.